Good morning. Welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. I want to let you know, first of all, we're glad you're here. And if you're visiting with us today, I want to let you know we're glad you came here. We believe God's led you here on purpose today. And we believe God has a word for your life. Here at East LJ Baptist Church, we have been captivated by Christ. And we hope that today you get a clear vision of who Christ is and how much we love him and how you could serve him here if you are visiting with us. Today we have a special guest speaker. David Messer up on the saxophone today and uh, I've stole his Bible for just a second I think he's preaching out of Nehemiah and uh, I want to read my favorite verse for you from Nehemiah it comes from chapter 4 verse number 6 and it says so we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work if we are going to accomplish anything as a church together and be in unity as a body We've got to have a mind to work, amen? amen. We've, we've got to be in one accord, and, and God's going to do the work, but we've got to have a mind to work. And so today, we hope that you'll open your heart, open your mind to what God has to say, and let him work in your heart. We believe God could do great things here at East LJ and continue to do it if we will get ready to work for him. Amen? We want to encourage you to stand at this time. And please greet somebody near you. We're going to take a minute or two to have a time of greeting, and then we'll have some worship. Okay, everybody, we want to regather your attention and just uh, we want to encourage you to just praise the Lord this morning. Even if you can't sing, we want you to sing as, just as loud and as hard as you can. Okay, and y'all pray for us as we sing. We, that's great I am this morning.
Jesus for my family 
You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, you are the God of creation. And all things that have ever been created or that will ever be created or that are sustained every day are sustained by the word of your power. So, Father, we gather this morning as your children, as those who you've called, that you've redeemed. And we worship you this morning. Because you're not just the God of creation. You're the God of each of us. And we exist to worship you and to glorify you and to do your will in this earth. So, Father, as we look in your word this morning, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, that you would open our eyes, you would open our ears, open our hearts that we would leave this place differently than the way we came. And along with the stars and all of creation and all the rocks, we will praise you and glorify you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in whose name we pray. Amen. We've got children's church today? Yes, no, maybe? Yes. Kids, head them out. Wow, I could lose that thing and everybody would be happy. One of the things that we sometimes forget is how incredibly blessed that we are and how highly favored we are and how much God loves us. And we're going to do something this morning that might seem a little differently. We're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. And some of you are going, what chapter? Well, like I said, we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. <laughs> Today's sort of going to be a, a, 
an exercise in historical narratives in Scripture. You ever read those passages in the Old Testament that just seem dry as dust? And you're like, that was thousands of years ago. It has nothing to do with me. Well, we can read it that way, or we can go to Scripture as the living word that it is, and we can try to figure out what God is trying to say to us today based on what he said a long time ago. So here's a little practical hint on how to read historical narratives. First of all, you've got to read them. You've got to know what the story is. Anybody here got Netflix? Anybody? Yeah, I see a couple hands, okay? You're getting rid of it, though? It's good. I'm glad you're under conviction for that. I was going to talk to you about that. When you watch a movie, when you read a book for the first time, what are you doing? You're looking at a story. You don't know who the people are, what they're doing. You're just watching the story. Same thing when you come to Scripture and these historic narratives, like a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament. You've got to know what the story is. You've got to read the story. What happened to the people? Who are these people? What are they doing? But if you stop there, you might as well watch Netflix. The truth of the matter is that when you see how God acts in the lives of his people 2,000 years ago, there's a principle there about how God acts with his people today. And the challenge for us is to, to figure out what is the principle that God was showing these people? How did they respond? So it sort of goes like this. What did those people read or hear or experience? And then what were they supposed to do about it? Nehemiah is an action drama. It's a political thriller. There's even a little armed conflict in there. What were these people supposed to do with what God was telling them? And then here's the real key. The real key is, what does that mean for me today? What principle is there from God's word that I can take and put in my life? so that God can change me because the real question is whatever this says what am I supposed to do about it because see this is not a book to be read and then set on the shelf and go wow that was a really cool movie no this is a book that's a call to action this is a book that requires us not suggest to us but requires us to change every time we look at it if you go to this book and you don't change when you finish looking at this book you wasted your time you should have watched netflix nehemiah it's the year 445 bc 450 years before jesus is born about 2400 years ago the people of israel had disobeyed god for 500 years and god finally said enough and he has them all hauled off into captivity, into Babylon. They're there for 70 years. The 70 years is over. Wow, that 70 years is finally over. And the king issues an edict, and a bunch of folks go back to Jerusalem and don't do a blasted thing. Nothing. That's where Nehemiah comes in. Nehemiah chapter 1. The memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. 
It was the month of Kislev in the 20th year. At the time, I was in the palace complex at Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, had just arrived from, Jerusalem, from Judah with some fellow Jews, and I asked them about the conditions among the Jews there who had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They told me, the exile survivors who were left there in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The walls of, Jer of Jerusalem are still rubble, and the city gates are still cinders. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, God, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, loyal to his covenant and faithful to those who love him and obey his commands. Look at me. Listen to me. Pay attention to this prayer of your servant that I'm praying day and night in intercession for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. And I'm including myself, I and my ancestors, among those who have sinned against you. We've treated you like dirt. We haven't done what you told us. We haven't followed your commands. We haven't respected what you told Moses, our servant. All the same, do remember the warning that you gave to our servant Moses. You said, if you betray me, I'll scatter you to the four winds. But if you come back to me and do what I tell you, I'll gather up all these scattered people from wherever they ended up and put them back in the place I chose to mark with my name. Well, there they are, your servants, your people who you so powerfully and impressively redeemed. Oh, Master, listen to me. Listen to your servant's prayer, and yes, to all your servants who delight in honoring you and make me successful today so that I get what I want from the king. I was the cupbearer to the king. You got the story so far? Here's Nehemiah. He's the cupbearer to the king. That doesn't mean he's a waiter. That means he's a very high official. One of his tasks was to actually taste the food before and the wine before the king did in case someone was trying to assassinate the king. But more than that, he was a close personal confidant of the king, someone the king relied on for wisdom and instruction and guidance as the king went about his daily life. In short, Nehemiah's got it made. Anybody here work in a palace? Yeah, I didn't think so. Neither do I. Any of you have a position in which, unless you do something really, really stupid, you're going to be wealthy beyond means for the rest of your life. I mean, Nehemiah has got it made he has arrived but word comes to him of the destruction of Jerusalem and that it's just as torn up now as it was 70 years ago and it breaks his heart this guy's rich he's powerful he's got the ear of the king and his heart breaks because of the condition of the people of God. And so he prays about it. That's what chapter 1 is all about. I should have warned you before I started. This is going to be a little different today. Of course, anytime I'm up here, it's different. But I don't have many answers today. I don't have many answers at all. I got an awful lot of questions. 
and most of them are pointed right at me. So you get to suffer along with me today, okay? I'm not going to have many answers, I promise you. This is going to be uncomfortable. You're going to need some Band-Aids. You may need a couple of tourniquets. So we might as well just get right at it. Which crosses your mind more? Thoughts about your job, your career, your money, your house, your kids, your sports teams, your fantasy sports league, how the Bulldogs are doing? What crosses your mind more often? That kind of stuff or the condition of the people of God? Ouch. It's going to get worse. Are you more concerned with the stuff in your life than the fact that there are people and dying and going to hell all over the world? I confess, I'm more worried about my stuff because I sure spend more time thinking about it. Ouch. Something happened to Nehemiah that broke his heart. And it was thinking about Jerusalem and the condition of the city of God. Folks, do you understand we are the city of God? God doesn't dwell in a place in the Middle East. What was Jesus' name that the angel said he would be called? Emmanuel, God with us. Yet we pay no more attention to the people of God then we do a stray dog down the street most of the time. Have you ever wept at the condition of East L.A.J. Baptist Church? Or is this just a place you show up on Sunday because that's what good church folks do? You want to give it even worse? You ever fasted? over the spiritual condition of the people sitting in the pew next to you? Eh, come on, Dave, you're getting a little radical. I sure hope so. Have we ever fasted and prayed for the lost people out the door? Now it's going to get real personal, and you can just get mad, okay? Any of you know that we have a prayer meeting on Sunday night? Anybody want to guess how many people show up? I'm going to step all in it. Anybody want to guess how many people show up on Sunday night to pray? And those of you who come, you don't get to give the answer. Anybody know? Maybe 12 on a good Sunday. I think our high is probably 17 or 18. I'm sorry the ball game's not over by 6 o'clock, but that's when we gather to pray. Anybody here want someone to pray for them when they have a serious illness? Raise your hand. Well, everybody does. Anybody got an unsaved loved one that's going to die and split the gates of hell wide open if they don't meet Jesus? Anybody got one of those in their family? Yeah. You want somebody to pray for them? Sure.
How many of you think this book is important? Everybody thinks it's important. Anybody got it all memorized? Not me. Anybody know what it's all about? <laughs> Not me. Anybody 100% compliant with doing what it says every day of every week? Not me. We've got kids' activities that happen on Wednesday night. And those are great. Trey and Julie pour their hearts out to those kids every week. Because they want them to know what this book says. And how the God that wrote this book can change their lives. You know how many people come to adult Bible study on Wednesday night? Ten. Sometimes twelve, maybe fifteen. Larry's got a few guys in his class. Chad's got a few folks in his class. Do me a favor, simply because I'm losing my mind as I get older. Don't ever call East Ella J a house of prayer because it is not. Don't ever call East Ella J people of the book because we are not. We come on Sunday morning to have our ears tickled. Chad does a great job. He's an incredible preacher. You guys don't know how good we have it. And faithfully, week after week after week, we hear the word of God proclaimed from this pulpit and we walk out the door and don't do anything about it. Do not call ourselves people of the book because it's a lie. Because we don't believe what this says and we don't believe the power that it has. I told you, I got a lot more questions than I got answers. Chapter 2. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I picked up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Though you're not ill, there's nothing but, this is nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the site of my father's tombs, is desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, What would you request? Best line in the whole book. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor before you, I request that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I gave him a definite time and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given for me for the governors of the province beyond the river so that they will allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which is by the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was with me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the Euphrates River and gave them the king's letters. And the king had sent with me officers and, of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, who I will hereafter call Sandy, the Horonite, and Tobiath, who I will hereafter call Toby, the Ammonite official heard about it. it was very, they were very displeased that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. 
So I came to Jerusalem and I was there for three days and I got up in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting in my mind to do for Jerusalem and there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon spring and on to the dung gate and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which had been consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I was going up at night by the ravine and inspecting the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. But the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Nor had I as of yet told the priest or the Jews or the nobles or the officials or the rest who were doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we're in. That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a disgrace. And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the work. But when Sandy the Horonite and Toby the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will make us successful. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no part, no right, and no memorial in Jerusalem. You got the picture? Following the story? Nehemiah takes this great risk. He could have had his head cut off. He could have lost everything. But he took a risk because his heart was heartbroken over the condition of God's people. He prayed. Quickest prayer in the Bible. Nehemiah, what do you want? Lord, <laughs> this is what I want. And then he speaks to the king. You don't think you can pray in a half second? <laughs> Boy, Nehemiah did. He gets his commission. He gets his orders. And then he goes and he looks at the situation in Jerusalem, which was 1,500 miles away, by the way, to find out what's going on, and he comes up with a plan. More of Messer's nasty questions. What am I, me, what am I willing to risk for the kingdom of God? What are you willing to risk for the kingdom of God? We don't like risk too much. That's why we buy insurance. To minimize the risk. We don't like taking risk. We like to be safe and warm and cozy in our beds. Let me ask it a different way, which will hurt even more. What is there in your life that if God asks you for it, your response is, no, you can't have that. What if God said, I want you to start giving $1,000 a month to the mission fund at church? 
if your response is, but Lord, if I do that, I can't afford my new Ford F-250 Super Cab. You just answered your question. I want you to give $15 a month to the Gideons. Lord, I'm, my money's sort of tight. If I, if I do that, I'll have to give up my Netflix account. What about your kids? Oh, God, don't, you, you leave my kids out of this. But what if God is so fed up with you sitting around and doing nothing that he wants one of your kids to go do something spectacular for the kingdom of God? Are you going to be the one to tell your kid no? Are you going to tell God no? If your child says, you know, I know you want me to be an accountant and have a nice life and make $100,000 a year and, you know, get married and have 2.2 kids and have a dog. I, I know that's what you want, Mom, but... Man, God is really, really working on me. And I think I want to go to the mission field. Or you can stand in your child's way. God help you if you do. Oh, let's get worse. What if God tells you, Dad, enough of this American dream? It's an American nightmare. I want you to sell everything and I want you to prepare, to prepare to go to the ugliest, darkest place on this planet that you can find and preach the gospel. Would you do it? Well, Dave, God's not going to do that to me. How do you know? Have you asked? See, we get awfully comfortable in our American cultural Christianity. We like to put our suits on and come to church and look good and everybody in the community think we're such good, wonderful people. But what is there in your life that you will not let go of? Be very careful. Corey Timboom famously said, if God gives you something, Hold it in the palm of your hand very lightly. Because when he needs it, he will get it. And you don't want to be grasping it when God asks for it. What is God calling you to risk? Let's go beyond that. What are you asking God to do? at East LJ Baptist Church? And if the answer is nothing, congratulations, God answered your prayer. What are you asking God to do for Freddie or Megan or Chris or Alice or Trey or Michael or Eva? What are you asking God to do for your brothers and sisters? Or do you ever even think of them? What are you asking God to do for you? Oh, that starts getting a little more difficult. I can pray that Trey gets called to the mission field. 
That's easy. Now, I pray that every day. But do I pray for the guy looking at me in the mirror while I shave? Hmm, that's different. Nehemiah took an incredible risk, and he asked God for an absolutely radical, insane thing. You talk about guts. Not only did he ask time off from work, he said, Oh, king, while you're at it, can I borrow your credit card? I got a city I need to build. And the king says, okay, when are you going to be back? Why? Because Nehemiah asked. And he dared to ask God for something truly stupendous. Again, what are we asking God for? When we dare to ask God for his kingdom... Do we ask him to use us in the kingdom? Nehemiah chapter 3. Chapter 3 is fun. I'm not going to read it all to you. This is the class participation time. Oh, no, here we go. Frank, Sheila, come here. Come here, come here. Trey, Julie. You just grab hands out there and just head out that way, facing that way. No, you just stand there. You spread out a little bit. Michael? Megan? Tim? We're building a wall. You hadn't noticed. I need more wall builders. I got any more wall builders? I want this wall to go all the way back around the back and come back down this aisle. I need more wall builders. Come on. Who's a wall builder? There's one. Yeah. Here we go. Come on. Let's build a wall. All the way around. There's Freddie. Good night. If Freddie can build a wall, anybody can build a wall. <laughs> Spread out. Cover this wall. There you go. There we go. I want you to look at what's happening. Look around. I know this is sort of fun, but it's supposed to prove a point. If you read the third chapter of Nehemiah, you find something remarkable. Some people built some really big chunks of the wall, and some just built the little piece of the wall that was right next to their house. Look at this. I got retired people. I got school teachers. I got businessmen. I got, I've only got one professional wall builder in this whole bunch, and that's him right there. He's the only man in this building that gets paid to build a wall. And he builds. I got a banker. I got a Gideon. I got street sweepers and butchers. I don't know if I need butchers or not. I got retired folks. I got folks working the bank. I got folks working the mortgage industry. Whew. I'm going to grab here. Even got a lawyer. That's me, not him. I'm on. We, we do have a dentist in the house. We got a bunch of teachers. When you read Nehemiah chapter 3, and I hope you all will, I want you to look at the group of people. There's a jeweler and a goldsmith. There's a carpenter. There's a mason. There's all sorts of folks. 
Have a seat. We're going to look at one more passage of Scripture here real quick. Thank you all so much. Don't forget what you just did. Don't forget what you just did. What you just did is this New Testament concept that we call oikos. It's talking about the house. It's talking about your extended area of responsibility. I bet you Freddie knows people that I will never meet. And I know people that Freddie will never meet. I run into people that Trey will never see. And he meets people every day that I will never meet. They're what? Let's guess. 150 of us here this morning? That rough? That pretty close? Up? How many? Larry's going to tell me. 166. All right. We got 166 people here. I bet between the 166 of us that we know 4,000 different people that we'll see next week. At least. Trey can't reach all those people. Chad can't reach all those people. We can reach all those people. When it comes to building the wall, it's not a single person's responsibility. Your homework assignment for this afternoon is to go home and read Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, you're going to find a passage toward the very end that says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to all grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Every joint. There are no bystanders in the kingdom of God. If we're going to build the house of God, if we're going to build the people of God, it takes all of us doing what God has called each of us to do. He's called me to do something different than what he's called you to do. If you were to ask half this room to come up here and to preach, they would be a line of people passed out on the floor. And the other half would be running out the back door. And that's okay. Because somebody's got to take care of the nursery. And you do not want me in the nursery. I can promise you, you do not want me in your nursery. Someone has to teach. Someone has to give. Someone has to reach out to the person that's sick and lonely. Someone's got to bring food to the person that's hungry. That's what God has called us to do. So the question is, this morning, this is more, a little more comfortable maybe than the last set of questions. What's your area of operations? What's your job? What is it? There is someone in the kingdom of God that God has placed in your life for you to care for. No one else can care for them like you do. There's someone in the kingdom of God that may be reached with comfort that no one else can reach. There may be that person out there that doesn't know Jesus and, they, and they're sad and they're upset and they don't know why. They're looking for answers. You may be the only one on the planet that can give them the answer. So here's the really tough question. What happens if you don't build your piece of the wall? Is somebody else picking up your slack? 
sometimes? Or does that piece of the wall just not get built? It's not optional. It's not something we do extra. I could do this all day. One of my favorite passages in Nehemiah, it's coming up in a minute, talks about they found the book of the law, they found the Bible, and they were so excited that they all gathered together, and Ezra, the preacher, stood up and started preaching, and he preached for six hours. I like that verse. And they didn't bring lunch. And when the sermon was over, they danced and they shouted and they screamed, Glory to God, because they had heard the word of God. Someday. In chapter 4, you find they get some opposition. And it's not good opposition, it's bad opposition. Sneaky, dirty tricks, lies, ratting them out to the public officials, just all sorts of stuff. And Nehemiah's response was, everybody strap on your sidearm. Get out the glocks and the shotguns and guard the doors because we're still doing the work. And they built the wall with a sword strapped on their side and a shield and a spear. One guy's carrying rocks and the other guy's standing there holding a spear. They didn't let anything stop them. So what's stopping us? Us. Got that exactly right. What's stopping us? We are. Folks, there's opposition in this world. If you haven't noticed, you need to wake up. The world is not a Christian-friendly place. If you ever thought it was, you were wrong to start with. But it's certainly not now. Unless there's a radical change in the direction of our country, the time is coming when pastors will be arrested for preaching the truth from the pulpit. You get ready for it. And if Chad Kelly ever gets arrested, we better take care of Betsy. Some of you might get arrested for telling the truth in your workplace. You may lose your job because you will not kowtow to the satanic evil that's been spouted in your HR department. Are you ready to lose your job? And the rest of you, if our brothers and sisters lose their jobs, are you going to put them up in your house? Oh, David, you don't think it'll get that bad? Oh, yes, I do. And if you don't, you got your head in the sand. There are pastors in Canada, Canada, pastors in Canada in prison for preaching the truth. Get ready, folks. Wake up. We are in a battle if you like it or not. Turn to the book of Ephesians and learn about the armor of God, because if you don't, you're going to be running around in your underwear. This is serious stuff. If we want to build the kingdom of God and we want to see men and women and boys and girls become believers in Jesus Christ and experience the joy and the peace that we say we have, we better get on the stick. 
we've got to be ready for some opposition. Oh, I could go on forever. And some of you are thinking, please, God, don't let him go on forever. Chapter 7, there's a really neat passage in, in, in chapter 7. And, and this is one of those things when you read a historical narrative and you read it and you go, uh-huh, because it will put you to sleep. There has never been a more boring passage of Scripture written than chapter 7 and 8 of the book of Nehemiah. Because it goes on and on and on about these people that came back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And when you first read that, you just shake your head and you're like, why in the world is that in the Bible? It even talks about how many donkeys they brought and how many camels they had. And you're going, good grief, God, didn't you have anything better to write? And the answer is, no. And you're like, what does that mean for me? It makes no sense whatsoever. Let me tell you what it means. God knows your family. Every one of you. He knows your family. He knows your kids. He knows what kind of car you drive. He knows how many dogs and cats you got. God cares so much for you that he knows you individually. We do not have a God of the masses. We have a God of the person. Your kids don't go to heaven because you're a Christian. And you don't go to heaven because your grandpa was. God is a God of the person. And he reaches each of us differently. He calls each of us differently, but he tells us all the same thing, which is Sunday school class. What does God tell us? Follow me. And God, in his wisdom, recorded in the Bible the names of people that he loved and cared for down to the point that he even knew how many donkeys they had. What kind of God is that? It's a personal God and it's a God that would crawl up on a cross and die for us. We need to be thankful people. It ain't all about us, but it's all about us. If you keep ripping through uh, the rest of Nehemiah, there are just some amazing things in there. The response of the people, read, read chapter 8, the response of the people to the word of God is just phenomenal. But you get into chapter 9 and 10, and we're coming in for a landing here. Chapter 9 is this incredible history of the people of Israel. I mean, it's just fantastic. It describes everything that God had done for them from Adam to house cat. Starts with creation, it talks about Abraham and Abraham being called and Abraham leaving Ur of the Chaldees and about Isaac and it talks about Moses and it talks about the captivity and talks about the Passover and talks about the Red Sea and talks about the 40 years in the wilderness and talks about the manna every day and it talks and talks and talks and talks and talks talks about the captivity and how God has now brought them back. 
Brother, you get down in the dumps, the old song is right. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. We are the most ungrateful people that ever walked the planet. We have so much. I'm not just talking about stuff, although we've got an, we got an awful lot of stuff. I pay an awful lot of money for insurance on all my stuff. I pay an awful lot of money in taxes on my stuff. I pay an awful lot of money for maintenance of my stuff. But what about the opportunities we have? What about the freedoms we have? What about the resources we have for spreading the kingdom of God? We should be thankful like you cannot comprehend. Our daily conversation with people should just be overflowing with thanksgiving to God for how he's blessed us so that people go, Messer, are you nuts? Yes, I hope so. Thankfulness will take us miles beyond ourselves toward fulfilling the Great Commission. I got one more ouch for you. You guys use another ouch? Chapter 10. You get through this great big long list of all the things that God has done. And then you get to chapter 9 and you're dealing through this history. And then you get to chapter 10. And it says that the people, the leaders, signed a pledge. They said, look, we haven't done so well in the past. We broke God's law. We broke God's law about intermarriage. We broke God's law about money. We broke God's law about the Sabbath. We broke God's law about all sorts of stuff. But now we've read the book. We've been reminded. We know what it says. And we're going to do what it says. Not only are we going to do what it says, we're going to put a document down that says what we're going to do, and we're going to sign it. Would you do that? Would you sign a document to put out in public that says what you're going to do for the kingdom of God? We're not talking about works-based salvation. We're not talking about the things that you do to try to win God's favor. Because I got news for you. You can't win God's favor. God loves you as much as, you can, as, as he can love you. No matter if you're good, no matter if you're bad, no matter if you go to church every time the doors open, no, no matter, God cannot love you anymore. You're completely accepted in Him and completely forgiven. He can't love you more, and you doing stuff doesn't impress Him in the slightest. But the flip side, if you're really God's child, you were created to do good works. You're not saved by your good works, but your good works, as James would say, are evidence of the faith that you say you have. Let's go back to our first really big ouch. People of the book. Would you sign your name to a piece of paper that says you'll try to read the Bible at least five days a week? Don't raise your hands. (laughs) 
would you sign your name to a pledge that says you're going to pray at least three times a week? Three, three times a week. Would you sign a pledge that says you're going to attend this, this Sunday morning service with all of us at least three times a month? I can tell you, I'm not here one time a month. I can tell you right now, I'm at my mother-in-law's house. Because part of our obligation is to care for her. I know we've, we all have responsibilities that sometimes take us away from gathering together, and that's okay. This isn't legalism. You ready for this? I don't have to read this book. I get to read this book. I don't have to come to church. I get to go to church. Because if I didn't go to church, I wouldn't get to see Julie and Trey and Frank and Sheila and Chris and Alice and Mike and Tim and Freddie and Jen and Megan and Kenny. If I didn't come here, I wouldn't be blessed with these people. I would be home and I would be alone. Would you sign your name to a pledge that said, Oh, I'm going to step in in here. that you'll come to this room and you'll pray with your brothers and sisters at least once a month. Just one night. Just one night. From 6 to 7 o'clock. Just one stinking night. Would you sign your name to that pledge? Would you sign your name to a pledge that you're going to come gather with your brothers and sisters on Wednesday night at least one time? During a month? Let me tell you, I have built relationships on Wednesday night with some folks. When it gets bad, I know who I'm calling. When I need prayer, I can tell you who I'm calling to pray for me. And it won't be anybody other than the folks that come on Sunday night. I'm just telling you straight up. I don't care what title you hold. I don't care what office you hold or what job you do. You know why? Because I've heard those people pray. And I've seen their prayers answered. Would you sign a pledge that says you're going to really intentionally and sacrificially reach in your wallet and give to the kingdom of God? I can't tell you what that means. God can tell you what that means. Would you do that? I'm not asking you to do it now. That's what mine looks like. There it is. Hold me to it. That's what the people in Nehemiah did. They stood before the people and they swore an oath that they would keep the law of God. And it changed the nation. I don't know what your list looks like. I don't have the right to tell you what that list looks like. But the Holy Spirit sure does. And if you will ask him this week, he will tell you exactly 
how he wants you to behave. And if God tells you to write it down and sign it and put it on this communion table, knock yourself out. I would love to see this communion table just covered up with the commitments of the people of God about the way in which they conduct their lives. Noah, Noah, Nehemiah ends great. He goes back to the palace for a short visit, comes back, <laughs> people have backslidden. Can you imagine? You know what they do? They get the book out again, and they start reading the book, and they find out that they haven't been doing the things that the book said to do, and they repent, and they move on. You know what Chad's whole sermon last week was about? Everybody get all uptight about the once saved, always saved, or can you lose yourself? Everybody's all freaking out over that stuff. You know what his message was about last, last week? His message was, you need to endure, and you need to move from milk to meat. It is time that we grew up. We no longer have the luxury of living in a society that thinks Christians are wonderful people. And if you're out there on your own, the devil will beat you absolutely to death. If we don't build the wall together, the wall will not get built. So, we're going to actually sing an old hymn here in a few minutes. Trust and obey. No? No? Different song? Different song. What are we going to sing? Okay, we'll do some different songs. <laughs> well, it was trust and obey when I left this morning. It's okay. Do we trust? It was pretty high, wasn't it? It was real high. Do we trust God? I mean, come on, let's just get right down to the nitty-gritty. Do we trust God or do we trust ourselves? If we're honest with ourselves, we'll say, most of the time, I trust me. I got this. I got the brains. I got the willpower. I've got the physical stamina. I got the connections. I got the job. I got this. Ain't none of you got it. I don't have it. When you read Nehemiah, you find a man that was willing to take incredible risk for the kingdom of God. God is calling some of you to take some real risks. I don't know what they are. I don't know who's being asked to take the big risk. But somebody's being asked to risk something. Some of us need to make a plan. Some of us need to decide that the kingdom of God is more important than collecting more toys to pay taxes and insurance on. Some of us need to take a deep dive into our checkbook and see who's really our God. Some of us need to figure out how to deal with opposition. And let me tell you, we didn't cover this part. Let me tell you how you deal with opposition. You put on the armor of God and you surround yourself with good warriors. Some of us just need to get serious and start doing the work. There are lots of ways to respond this morning. Music team, you guys come on up. There are lots of ways to respond to God's word this morning. I hope everybody here is a Christian. I don't know of anybody in this room that's not, but if you're not, if you're not, 
God is calling you as well. He's calling you to finally give up and accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. Remember when I said God is a personal God? Yeah. Jesus died just for you. Because you can't pay for your own sin. You can't do it. You can't do it. Jesus already did. Some of you need to think seriously about some of the challenges from Nehemiah. I can tell you. It's been wearing me out. This is not a game. God is calling every one of us in this room to move from milk to meat, to be mature sons and daughters of God, and to get on with the business of his kingdom. There's only one response to what Nehemiah has to say, and it's repent and do something different. However God calls you to respond, that's great. Let's just respond. Let's listen to the words of the song as it sung to us this morning. Pray. Just pray. Do what Nehemiah did. Just pray. David, I don't know what to pray for. Good start. That means you're not thinking it, and the Holy Spirit will take. So just pray. And whatever God tells you to do, do it. Let's pray and listen together. Think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me up with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he placed my feet on the solid ground.
been good to be in God's house this morning. God wants to build the wall. And as you saw earlier, it takes all of us. So let's get serious about it. And let's do the work of the kingdom of God this week. Wherever you are, at the grocery store, in your classroom, in your office, on the football field, wherever God puts you this week, build the kingdom of God.